you guys doing? Welcome, welcome everybody to TLC. It's great to see your beautiful faces. Man, what a gloomy day. But it's the start of December. Are you guys excited for Christmas? Oh, you like? Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm trying, I'm trying. All right. Change, change, change. That's, it's doable. All right. <laughs> hey, uh, we just finished our, our, our series on making room for Jesus. We are starting a new series today. It is, uh, it's called uh, Christmas Unwrapped. Christmas Unwrapped. I have this, I have this, uh, this soul, solo desire every year to make sure that we, uh, we do Christmas at least well. <laughs> at least we understand Christmas well, right? Um, and every year I've been a Grinch about it. I've always been a Grinch about, like, you know, like, uh, not so down with the whole Christmas cheer and Christmas spirit and all that, like, Shopping and peppermint mocha that you guys have during Christmas time, right? But this year I decided I'm gonna do that. This year I'm gonna sit back. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna meditate a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to figure out why. Why is it that everyone loves that stuff so much, right? Why is it that they love their um, their sweaters when they during Christmas season comes around, fall season comes around, you get your nice bundle up like clothing, your scarf, you get, you get all dressed up. Why is it that um, Starbucks they put out this line of drinks and then everyone always order it, you know, like. And they, they, they grab it and they're they walking down their mall with all the decorations and they're just enjoying that. Why is that? So I, I thought about it for a long time and I realized, um, you know, the problem with Christmas is that we, we, we like to put meanings into a lot of things. We like, we like to associate a lot of those things with, with meaning, okay? Uh, when we get bundled up, you know, it's this, this sense of safety or sense of covering or just because we look good too, you know. Or like when you're warm. Right, you're cozy. Uh, you're with friends. There's laughter. There's joy. At least, at least there's some sort of connection that begins to happen there, and it's cool because we we begin to associate those instances during this time, right, with family, with days off from work, with uh, a mood, a good mood, right, and we we kind of create that, that 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 feeling for us and. Nothing's wrong with that. I, I, I thought about it for a long time. I was like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be with family, like laughing with each other. There's nothing wrong with exchanging gifts and uh, coming together. And, you know, at least everyone's happy and optimistic about life, right, at least for a season. Nothing wrong with that. But, I, but one of the things that I, I thought about was that I think I, I feel like we settle, we settle for too, too little when it comes to Christmas time, right? Because we, we wait all year for a season where at least a month people are happy with each other. At least they try to be happy with each other. A month where they're trying to uh, really create some sort of spirit that comes around. And nothing's wrong with that. That's, that's a beautiful thing. But I feel like we settle for very little when it comes to Christmas. Because Christmas, at the very heart of it, the truth of it, has so much power to actually transform your life. Not just for a, a month or day or week. It has, in its very depth core, a truth that can transform your life forever. It has a deep theological basis behind it that if you know it and if you embrace it, that you understand it, can actually transform you. And so the series of Christmas Unwrapped is, again, just going back to the core and the meaning of Christmas. And I hope that as you're enjoying times with friends and family, as you're enjoying your peppermint mocha walking down the mall, as you're enjoying uh, the seasonal spirit, right, that you... Glean back and you recognize what the depths of Christmas really mean. That's all it is. And I want you guys to be able to see it, know it, and actually live that truth out. Because when that happens, man, then it's not just Christmas one day. It's Christmas all the time. Right? 
when that actually happens and God's people begin to see Christmas, it's not just a once a season thing, but a yearly thing. Um, so to do that, we, uh, we, we need to look at a couple things, right? So Matthew and Luke, Matthew and Luke was where you get the Christmas story. That's when you get the, the, the star and the angels and the shepherds and the manger and all that good stuff. That's the what of the story of Christmas. That's how you guys know what happens, right? But in the book of John, which is where we're going to be going at, it tells you what all those things mean. The book of John tells you what Christmas means. So what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks is we'll spend two weeks telling you what Christmas, why Christmas happens, and then two weeks of telling you what happened actually during Christmas. Okay? So my goal, my goal for this month is that you live this month enjoying your Christmas season, but also coming into contact with the one who makes the season actually what it is. Right? Coming into actual reality and relationship with our God. Right? So um, three points I want to make today. Okay, three points. One point is uh, Jesus is the word. Second point is Jesus became flesh. And the third, Jesus dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. Jesus became flesh. Jesus dwelt among us. All right? Christmas time is very stressful. If you guys don't know, right, for me it's very, very stressful. Only because I'm not very good at giving gifts. Okay? And every year I, ha- I have the daunting task of figuring out what to get my wife for Christmas. And every year I just say, look, here's my wallet. Just figure it out, whatever you want, right? That's not meaningful. That's not sweet. I'm like, man, this is so hard. And I, I, would, I would just walk like, like a dazed man down the mall, right? And so my hope is, you know, we transform that culture <laughs> so that Christmas becomes more than just a season of, shoot, sorry, season of uh, gift-giving and stressful times, right? But actually a season of love and connection. Open your Bibles, John chapter 1. We're going to read 14 verses, but I'm going to focus only on one verse, okay, uh, today. 14 verses, but I'm going to uh, only focus on one verse, the last verse that we're going to read. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray, and we'll get started. John chapter 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, he was named John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The last verse, it goes like this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this season. Lord, once again, it's a reminder of a season of which you did something impossible. Father, you took the ideal and you spoke and you worked and you punched your way into reality. You became Father Man in the midst of a broken world. And we thank you for it. And we ask, Lord, that this coming series, as we begin to preach on it, that, God, you would 
Speak into the hearts of your sons and daughters, into the hearts of our friends and families here, Lord, that you will show us, remind us, and guide us once again to understand the truth and the meaning behind how significant this moment is in history. And I pray, oh God, that it will transform our hearts, our spirit, and gear us all towards you. And so, Lord, may your words speak. And Father, God, would you use me and worthy as I am to speak it. We thank you so much, Father. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Jesus is the word, the Bible says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was uh, with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh. Jesus is the word of God. Now, why is that so important, the word, the word, okay? A person is ultimately, um, a person's word is the ultimate expression of who they are. If you want to know somebody, you talk to them. If you want to know somebody, you actually engage in conversations with them. If you want to know somebody, you engage with them, right? So I had a buddy of mine, she told me, like, PT, I met a guy. And I was like, okay, cool. Tell me about this guy, right? He's so smart. He's so handsome. He's, he's so kind. Like, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's really good looking. He's, he's, I see him interact with people. He's just so good with people. I was like, oh, cool, man. Sounds like a great guy. Like, you know, what's his name? She told me his name. I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, so... Um, what do you like about him? She told me all these things, like, you know, his character, his, his actions, what, the, what he does for community service. I'm like, oh, cool. So when can I meet him? And she said, oh, you can't. I'm like, why not? Right? It's like, he's a real person, right? She's like, yeah, 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 he's a real person, right? Like, you can't meet him. It's like, okay, who is he? I was like, he's, he's this K-pop star I just, I just saw online. I just, I'm just in love with him, right? I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, you don't even know him. You haven't even spoken to him yet. How do you, like, how do you make all of these, like, inferences about who he is? Like, dude, I, I watch him on YouTube. I, I read about him. Like, all these blogs about him. He's amazing. I love this guy, PT. I'm like, yeah, but you don't know him. It's like, what do you mean? I don't, even, I don't need to talk to him to know someone. It's like, no. Okay? Now you're just insane. Yes, you need to talk to someone if you want to know them. It is the spoken word that actually connects people together. You guys get me, right? Like, you know, and you get this naturally. Let's say you're in the office, and one of your people say, hey, have you uh, met so-and-so? I say, oh, yeah, I've seen them around the office sometimes, but I've never talked to them. Because you've never really met someone until you've actually talked to them, yes? Right? It is the word that becomes the expression of a person, okay? The word gives you the expression of who that person is. And so the Bible says this, that Jesus is the word of God. He is the word of God. What does that infer to you? It means this. It means that the only way in which you know God is through Jesus. The only way in which you can understand the expression of who God is is through this word that he's given to us. See, God didn't just speak a word and just kind of like, oh, this is what he says. God gave us the word, Jesus Christ. So to know God is to know his expression, who, whom is, or who is Jesus Christ, okay? It's not that you can't figure something out about, about God. I mean, like, if you've never, like, met Jesus, if you've ever, never known who Jesus is, it's not that you can't figure things out. You know that God is a beautiful creator. You look at nature, right? You look at uh, things around you, that God is wonderful. He is majestic. He is powerful. Look at the stars. He's like, this is unbelievable. You can infer a lot of things about God. You look at your neighbor and you stare at their face and you realize God must be a jokester, right? You, you can you infer a lot. Oh, it, didn't work, it didn't work out in YouTube either, that joke. Oh, man, I need to work on that one, right? 
You, you, you can infer a lot of things about God, but the thing is, you don't know who he is unless you know him. It takes Jesus for you to know God. You guys follow me? It takes Jesus for you to know God because the word is the expression of the person. And John was very smart when he used this phrasing. He, he just said anything he wanted, but he chose to say the word in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. This was God's expression. This was God's way of speaking to us. And some of you guys are thinking, well, I don't like that, PT. I don't like that kind of inference. I don't like how that, I need, some, I need something more tangible. I need something more proof-like. I need something, an airtight argument to show me who God is, to show me that he's real, to show me that he's alive, to show me that he is good. I need an airtight argument for you to prove to me that God exists, not just to say some, you know, grammatical way of saying that God has shown me who he is through the word, which is Jesus Christ. I need something more than that. And the problem with that is, guys, here's the problem with that, okay, is that you cannot prove anything 100%. No one can prove anything 100%. You guys get me? Like, I can't prove whether I'm not in the matrix with you guys right now, right? We, we, can't, we can't prove that, okay? But let's say you believe that, right? If you believe that, then the question is, how do you infer reality from this? How do you actually live out your reality with that belief in your heart? If you actually believe you live in the matrix, then why do you care about the people next to you? You can take them out, and then it'll be okay, whatever, right? Why do you live in a sense of justice and morality and meaning for? You cannot prove everything 100%, but... You can infer something. You can use your logical mind to think about something to realize, you know what, maybe I'm not in the matrix because if I was, I wouldn't be acting this way. I wouldn't be living this way. I wouldn't be choosing to do these things this way. And so you know what God does? He gave us the word. The word in Greek is called the logos. The logos. Why keep saying it wrong? The logos. Logos. It's the word we get the word logic from. And God is saying, I have given to you my logic. I have given to you my logic. What does that mean? It means this, right? It means that God did not give us an airtight argument about who he is. He's given us an airtight person. He's given us a person to prove and to argue for him of who he is. So all you have to do then is to begin to infer on who Jesus is, what he has done what he claimed to be, what he has claimed to do, and what he actually accomplished. When you begin to look at what he has done, and then you use your brain to think about it, you use your rational thinking, okay, so what do these things actually point to? The thing that he has claimed to be, the things that he was able to actually accomplish, coming back from the dead, healing the sick, commanding the storm, all of these things that he was able to do, what does that infer from it? How, what do you infer from it? Use your mind to think about it because God is saying, this is my logic to you. This is my word to you. You want to know who I am? I'm not going to give you actual words. I'm going to give you this person. And through this person, you tell me if you understand who I am. Through this person, you use your mind to do it. The problem with a lot of us, what we, what we do during Christmas is this. We don't actually try to get to know God. We don't actually try to get to know Jesus. We don't actually try to understand the word Christmas. What we do during this Christmas season is we enjoy our peppermint mocha while we walk down the mall. And if there happens to be a manger, we're like, oh, that's so cute. And we kind of have a little side, 
feeling of, oh, yeah, this is about that baby. And that's it. But we don't actually sit down long enough to think about who is Jesus. Because God is saying, this baby, this advent, this coming, this is my word to you. This is the word that I have given to you. This is the way I've expressed my reality to you. This is the way I have shown you who I am. And if you would use your logic, if you use your rationality, if you would look into this baby's life, this child's life, this man's life, if you will look into his life, look into what he has said, look into what he has done, look into what he has accomplished, you will only infer one thing. He is God. This is who God is. If you would take the time to look. If you would take the time to look at the claims. Have you done that? Have you actually done that, church? Have you spent your Christmas actually thinking about who is Jesus? Is he really who he claims to be? And so a lot of us, you know, we say we're in church for Christians, we're believers. Great. I, I, I. But here's, can I tell you one thing? Can I tell you one thing? If we say that, and if he is truly who he says he is, if we say, yeah, I believe that he is who he says he is, then there's only one option for us. It's we're all in. There's no halfway here. There's no halfway relationship with this. If he is who he says he is, there is no, yeah, I, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I also do my own thing. There's no such thing as that. Either you denounce him completely, I don't care, I don't want it, I don't need it. Done. Or you come down and you say, this is my life. You take it and you use it forever, you, whatever you want to do. There is no halfway point. There is no in and out. There's no one foot in, one foot out. It's either all in or all out. Have you claimed that? Do you believe that? Do you see that? What is this Christmas season about? The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. God is saying, this is my logic to you. To know who I am. Have you actually taken the time? I mean, we live in a very rational time, don't we? We live in a time when you want to think all the time, don't you? You live in a time when you always want to like prove things. But all it is, just look. Take a look. Take a look at the life. Take a look at the accomplishment. Take a look at the stories. Take a look at the history. Take a look at what he's done. And then you infer to me what you think he is. Make an informed decision. You guys are grown men and women. I don't need to, like, pamper you in information. You don't need to just sit here and listen. Take the time, read up on it, and you tell me what informed decision you have made about this Jesus Christ. Because the Bible, John, one of the Disciples of Jesus, when he wrote this letter out, when he wrote this gospel, he's saying this. This is God's expression to us. This is who he has chosen to use to tell the world who he is. Have you done that? Have you looked at that? Jesus is the word. That's what this Christmas is saying. Secondly, okay, verse 14, it says this. The word became flesh. The word made flesh. Okay, Word made flesh. Jesus is the word. It was made flesh, a baby in a manger. And sometimes we look, we go past that manger. We say, oh, that's so cute. Such a cute baby. Sometimes people blaspheme and put like, you know, Yoda or little baby stuff in there. Like, oh, that's baby Yoda. Yay, Jesus, right? And so we think it's cute. We think, but word made flesh. There's so much more depth to, a, to that than just a little manger scene. There's so much more depth to it than just a, a, uh, uh, a picture of 
you know, Mary and Joseph bend over bowing and shepherds and star and all these animals. There's so much more depth to it because word made flesh means this. It means that he was vulnerable. It means that he was pokeable. It means that he was killable. It means that he had soft cheeks, right? He had soft skin. He, had, he was a baby. He was made to be vulnerable. And only in, only in Christianity, listen, guys, only in Christianity do we have the declaration that God was willing to become vulnerable. No other faith declares such a thing. No other faith would, would deem their God vulnerable, would deem their God as killable. No other faith would do that. In Christianity, in Christmas, it says what? God became vulnerable. You know, in, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the way God showed up, always in the Old Testament is what? Pillar of smoke. It was majestic. It was grand. It was awesome. Pillar of fire. It was destructive. It was powerful. To the wind, right? He showed up in ways that was beyond imagination. It was power that he showed up. But yet, here in the Christmas picture, he showed up vulnerable, killable. Why? Why? The Bible says that they call Jesus the Wonderful Counselor. You know why Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor? Is it because he took a PhD course and he knows all the, the ins and outs of the human psyche? No. You know why he's a Wonderful Counselor? You, you make the best counselor when you understand the hurt of the other person, don't you? When you've actually gone through the same thing they've gone through, and now you counsel them. He was a Wonderful Counselor simply because why? He understood and he knew our pain. And he showed up. He heard our cries for help. He heard our need in our souls, and he showed up. Let me tell you the story. I was, I was listening to a podcast, right? And it's one of these podcasts. It was, it was a story of, um, it was 1964. 1964, it was uh, one of those crazy, like, in, in New York, there was a woman called Kitty Genovese, okay? Right? You guys heard about her, Kitty Genovese, right? Uh, it, was, it was really it was a really interesting story because she was coming home from work at a bar, uh, she was a manager at the bar, and she parked in this residential area, which is where, you know, her house was, or her place was. And, you know, there were, like, apartment buildings and left and right, and she was just walking towards the place. And as she parked her car, it's around March, I think, and she, she saw a, a figure of a man on the other side. And so she got a little nervous. It was kind of late, and now it's like 2 in the morning, I think. And she was walking, and, of course, she's running to, she's kind of frantically walking to her house, and he runs. He grabs her, and he stabs her, right? And the moment he stabbed her, she screamed out. Oh, my God, he stabbed me. And guess what happened? Light in the apartment window t- turned on. Turned on, and then he's like, he's stabbing me. Someone help. Someone call for help. Lights turned on, and you hear one voice say, hey, stop that. Let her go. Right? And then the lights turned on, so the guy freaked out, and he ran away. He ran away, and then she was laying there, and she's kind of, okay, got to get to my house. Right? Got to get to my No one came down. No one came down. I just got to get to my house. And as she's walking, the lights turned off. The guy saw the lights were off. Guess what happened? He came back. He came back and he stabbed her again. And this time she shrieked and she cried and she was like, oh my gosh, he's killing me. Someone please call for help. This time more lights turned on in the neighborhood. And then the lights turned off. And as the lights turned on, he ran away again. The lights turned off. She's crawling to her, to her house. She got into her house, right? But because lights turned off, he came back, opened the door, came in, killed her. Three times. Three times she cried out for help. Three times he came back period of 35 minutes. Police, they uh, talked to the witnesses. There were 38 witnesses that night. 
38 people that night who heard her cry for help. And the police were befuddled. You know why? Nobody called the cops. Nobody called the cops. And finally, an old 70-year-old woman, I guess it was too loud, she called the cops. They came, and the girl was already dead. 35 minutes in between. The question was, why? The cops were like, why didn't you call the cops? They, everyone said, you, everyone heard, they kept saying, everyone heard the screams. How come nobody called the cops? You know what the answer was? They didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to come down and help. They saw the situation, and they were afraid to be a part of it. They didn't want to get involved. They didn't come down for help. Okay? And it was one of those cases that everyone was like, what in the world? They almost, the city was thinking about, can we even sue these witnesses? Like, like how can 38 people hear this and not say anything? Right? They were just blown away by that. What a weird fact. But here's the point of the story. The point of the story is this. That we have situations where men and women would not call for help when there's help actually needed. And yet we have a God whom ourselves, maybe we never actually cry out for help out loud and yet knows our hearts and came down anyways. Not at the risk of being hurt, but at the cost of his actual life itself. The Bible said word became flesh. He was vulnerable. He was killable. He was in a place where divinity became humanity. It was crazy. He came for you. He cried out for help. Have you ever, listen guys, have you ever been hungry, lonely? Have you faced injustice? Have you faced grief, betrayed, homelessness, death? Have you faced those things? You know why he became flesh? Because he said, I have too. I am the wonderful counselor. Your pain is not far from me. Your hurt is not far from me. Your, your situation that you're going through is not far from me. And now some of you guys are thinking, no, 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 PT, you're wrong, man. I cried out for God out loud sometimes. I cried out for him for help sometimes. And I was left with nothing but silence. And you know what God says? You know what Jesus says? Me too. The Garden of Gethsemane, I cried out to my God, my God, my God, would you take this cup from me? And I was kept silent. I was abandoned by God himself. On the, on the cross, and I cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I was kept silent. Me too. I know your pain. I know your hurt. I know your loneliness. I know your despair. I know your depression. I've been with you. I can counsel you because I'm not far from you. You know what Christmas is? Christmas is not a cute baby in a manger, right? It is cute, but it's not a cute baby in a manger. Christmas is about God becoming vulnerable, killable, pokeable. Christmas is about God coming and embracing the very same pain that you embrace now. The very same thing that you feel alone dealing with that no one else can possibly possibly understand. God says, I, Jesus says, I have faced it. I have felt it. You have felt betrayed, so have I. You're in a place of complete loneliness, so have I. You're in a place of abandonment, so have I. God has abandoned you, he has abandoned me too. You're not far. I'm not far from you. 
ever. Christmas is not about babies, cute, manger scene. Christmas is about God who loves, who has felt, and who is just waiting for you to call for him. You guys know something? Can I tell you something practical about this? <clears throat> the wonderful counselor. This is, he is the, they call him the high priest, his majesty, his grace. This is what he is, this, this is how beautiful he is. Right? In the book of Mark, there was, a, there was a scene, if you guys remember, of these four friends. They were trying to lower their buddy, their crippled buddy, down the, the rooftop because the house was so packed, you know, they couldn't get him. So they decided, we're just going to mess this dude's house up. We're going to put a whole big old hole down and we're going to lower our buddy down, right? And as they lowered the buddy down, Jesus came up to that guy, right? And the first thing Jesus said to him is, you guys remember? You guys remember? Ten points. hundred points. My, sins, my son, your sins are forgiven. Okay? What a weird statement to make, right? What a weird statement to make. Do you know in the Bible, God never gives forgiveness without repentance? God never gives forgiveness without repentance. In that story, that crippled man never said, forgive me. He never said it out loud. And yet, Jesus came to him and said, before he even healed him to walk, he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. You know what that means? You know what that's saying? You know what that shows? That shows the heart of your high priest. That shows the heart of your father. It shows the heart of, your Lord, of Jesus Christ who is so willing to come and give his grace and mercy to you. There must have been something about that crippled man sitting there. His heart must have cried out, wanting to cry out, man, this guy, I just, I want to ask for forgiveness, but I'm so scared to ask for it. I want to ask for forgiveness, but what if I'm unforgivable? I can't even bear to even utter the words, Jesus, forgive me. And yet Jesus knew his heart, and before he even said it, he said, my sons, your sins are forgiven. It shows the heart of a vulnerable man who understands the pain and the hurt and the struggle of the human spirit. And he says, before you would even say it, I will give it to you because I know you want it and I know you need it. How deep and how beautiful is such a counselor who knows your heart that one, that, that, that intimately, who would say to you, I'm here. I've been through it. I know it. I sense it. I feel it. You don't even have to say it. I'm already going to forgive you. You don't even have to utter the words in your heart. I already hear it. How beautiful is that? That's what it means for word to become flesh. It's not a cute baby that you kind of walk past. And, oh, that's cute. That's pretty. And thirdly, what is Christmas? This is what John says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He dwelt among us. The word uh, dwelling here, right, is the English translation, but the Greek translation, the, the, the original Greek translation, the word tabernacle. He made his tabernacle among us. Okay, he tabernacled among us. The word tabernacle is a reference to the Old Testament when Moses was on the mountain. He says, God, I, I love you so much, man. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And God said, if I were to show it to you, you would die. I will show you my back. That's good enough for now, right? But if you want for me to be with you, 
Let's build a tabernacle, and I will dwell there. So wherever that tabernacle is, I will be there as well. And so the reference here that John is saying is this. Jesus dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. The glory of God is among us, and we have seen, this is the next uh, sentence, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John is saying, we have seen the glory and we have not died. Jesus Christ is the very glory of God himself dwelling among us. How crazy, how unbelievable is that? When Jesus became the tabernacle, we had what Moses could never have, God's glory. And you know what that means? You know, what that, you know the significance of Jesus being tabernacling among us, Jesus tabernacled among us? You know what the significance of this is? Huge significance. It means this. It means from this point on, religion is out the window. Jesus has ended religion. Imagine, imagine you were a Roman person back in the days, and you, uh, and you were a Christian. You met up with a Roman dude, a uh, pagan worshiper, and they said, hey, you're worshiping some new God, some Jesus. Tell us about it. And so, yeah, Jesus, you know, he died on the cross. He came to save us, you know, blah, blah, right? And it's all cool. New religion. We love that kind of stuff, right? Where do you worship? Where is your tabernacle? Where do you go to offer your incense, in, in, incense, right? Not incense, 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 right? Incense. And then you as a Christian say, we don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a place. Jesus is our tabernacle. Interesting. Well, you must have a priest, right? Someone to actually speak to, uh, on behalf of you to God. Someone who's going to mediate that conversation between you and God, right? You must have a place of that. And then you answer, Jesus is our priest. He is our mediator. Uh-huh. Well, then, what about sacrifice? How do you appease your God? How do you, how do you make your God do what you want him to do? How do you get your God to be on your side? There must be a sacrifice, and you as a Christian said, what? Jesus is our sacrifice. You see, in every religion, it's a place of worship. It is a priest. It is a sacrifice. That's religion. And you do all of those things to earn the favor of whatever God you're worshiping to be on your side for that season that you're going through. And yet on Christmas, it says this, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. What it's saying is this, that Jesus himself eradicated religion. That is nothing that you have done or can do, that he has already done it for you. And now our response is, whatever you want from us, oh God. See, every other religion, right, every religion, even the, even the Christian like side sex sometimes, right? They tell you, like, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. Then you will have God's favor. Then you will be accepted. Then you will be loved. And yet in Christianity, in Christmas, the Bible says he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. His glory was with us. Meaning what? He came to us even when we did not deserve it. He gave his himself to us even when we did not deserve it. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so, in return, we give unto him our lives. It's not what we have done first, but what he has done for us. He eradicates religion. That's why Christianity is not about things to be done. It's about a relationship. That's why Christmas is not about 
Christmas cheer, Christmas spirit, Christmas aesthetics. Christmas is about this relationship that he initiated with you. A real relationship that says, I will dwell with you. I will dwell with you. But not only will I dwell with you, I will show you my glory. And that glory becomes yours. You know, like when, when Moses saw the back of God in, in the Old Testament, like his face was so bright that they had to cover it because they couldn't, like everyone else couldn't see it. It was, it was like, like a light. I can't, I can't imagine what it looked like, honestly. I'm just thinking a light bulb and just, right? You can't actually see Moses' face. You see, you have to cover that mug up, right? He saw his back and he had the glory. Jesus Christ says, I will give you my glory, and it will shine from inside out. How's, how did he do that? All right? Jesus' glory becomes ours. You know, when, when someone has slighted you, when someone has done you wrong, someone has done you dirty, all right? Friend, whatever, someone has done you dirty, what happens to that relationship? There's a gap, right? When, you have, when they have mistreated you and you have mistreated them, there's a gap in that relationship, isn't there? And a simple, I'm sorry, doesn't really suffice it sometimes, okay? It depends how big the gap is, right? If the gap is big, you're like, no, I'm going to need a little more than that, right? Because you can say I'm sorry, and we can be like, okay, fine, I'm sorry. But there seems to be a what? There seems to be an emotional debt that you still owe me, right? I feel like I'm still up, honestly. Like, I, I know that you said you're sorry, and, and, I think, and I think you think that we're kind of even, but I still feel like I'm a little bit up above you right now. I feel like you still owe me something. You know that gap that you feel? You know why you feel that gap? You know why you feel that gap? I'm going to tell you right now. It's really crazy. It's because you were made in God's image. You were made in God's image. And so imagine the gap that you have between a friend, a human being. Now imagine that gap between you and an infinite person. That you have slighted God, that you have mistreated his creation. That you have mistreated your brothers and sisters, people who are made in his image. That you have mistreated him. Now, how deep is that gap? And then you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's going to take something more to bridge that gap. It's going to take something more to restore that initial glory of relationship. It's going to take something more to put that together. Right? And what does it take? What does it take? Jesus Christ. Right? Someone has to pay the debt. The debt is there. Someone has to pay that debt. So Jesus comes and he pays that debt. He pays a debt with his life. And all of a sudden, all is made new. All of a sudden, all is made real. All of a sudden, he takes this broken relationship and he makes it ideal again. All of a sudden, everything that he was becomes yours. Everything that he is becomes yours. And it's no longer you and between you and God, this debt that you owe God, but it's between now a relationship between a father and a son. The Bible says very clearly Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, name of Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The gap was closed because the debt was paid. And Jesus Christ saying, yes, I paid it. The glory is yours. You know, you know why this is significant? You know why this is practical for your life? How that becomes practical? It's very simple. It's because the real the reality, the rugged reality of life now becomes the ideal. Christmas time, the ideal of heaven broke into the reality of life on earth. 
We always think about like, oh, things would be so great if this is that or, or this would happen or that would happen. We live in the ideal in our minds, but, we li- but the reality of our lives is much more dirty, it's much more dark, it's much more rugged, it's much more just black, it's not as black and white, it's much more gray. It's not as pretty, it's not as colorful. It's more like blah. That's our reality. And Christmas, what it does is that Jesus Christ comes from the ideal, he breaks his way into our reality, and he takes our reality, and he transforms it back into the ideal. You know why this is practical? Because you can never say this. In Christmas, during the season, if you understand, you will never and can never say that I can never change. They will never change. That will never change. This will never change. Because in Christmas, what we saw was reality becoming ideal. That Jesus Christ took what is real, what is broken, what is destructive, what was dying, and he made it into a place of glory. And so when we understand Christmas, you understand this very truth. And this is why we built this whole philosophy at TLC on this one thing, that there's no such thing as a lost cause because people can change if God is there. People can change if Jesus is there. You can never say that this sin of mine will never be beaten. This situation of mine can never be transformed. My mom, my dad can never change. They will never see the light of day. They will never do what I wish them or I ideally want them to do. The truth of what Jesus says is what? I can make it happen. Because I have come to take what is broken and to transform it to what is glorious. I've taken what is real, I'm going to make it ideal. If you understand Christmas, you understand this truth. No matter how much facade you want to make during your Christmas season with family, how much Christmas cheer and happiness you want to create around the people that you are annoyed with or angry with or people that are angry with you, much as, oh, let's just be kind. But then, you know, when season's over, January starts and you start a whole new year of pain again. What Christmas says is this, I can change that forever. You don't have to just put up with it for one season. We have to pretend that it exists for a season or pretend that it's real for a season. I can make it ideal forever if you would trust in me. That's Christmas, guys. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. So when you think of Christmas, yes, enjoy the lights. Yes, enjoy Peppermint Mocha. Yes, enjoy the mall. Yes, enjoy your time with your friends. Yes, enjoy the gift giving. But don't lose sight of the very depth of the meaning of what Christmas looks like. That I am the logic of God. You see me, you know who God is, and only through me, that I've come to be your counselor. If you would call upon me, that I've come to take what you feel is unchangeable, to change it for the ideal. That's why when you see, you see stories, you know, and I share with you guys, when I went to Vietnam the first time, you know, I met a man who was a pastor, but he, before that, his story, his life was a man who was, you know, drugged out on meth, left for dead, used up all his family's money, abandoned by his family, left to die, had, got AIDS somewhere along that journey, thrown down, thrown out in the front yard of his home, 
Family doesn't even open up the door to pick him up. Christian brother walks along, picks him up, takes him home, cares for him, shares with him Jesus Christ, gives to him the word, the counselor, the ideal. Takes a broken man and then transforms what no one thought this reality of, of shame, dirt, and sin never changed. Took this man and turned him to the ideal. They can change a life. A man who now leads countless homes of other drug addicts back to Christ. A man who's married and has children, whose children for some reason do not have AIDS or the HIV virus. A man who God has used to bless many, many people. Because he can take the real and become ideal. He can change life. That's what Christmas is. It's about the ability to change, not just about the lights and the cheers. You know, follow me, right? Spend this Christmas not just in the enjoyment of the, the, the spirit of it, but spend this Christmas realizing the depth of it, that God can change you, that God wants to meet with you, that God is waiting for you to call upon him. because He's looking to say, I can change your life more than you can possibly know. Let's pray.